All right, uh, we'll take a break for a few weeks from our Roman series, but I promise you, if the Lord wills, and I believe it's his will, we'll be back in the book of Romans uh, to start the new year. And we're going to have a brand new series in the book of Romans, but don't worry, I'm not going to start all over again. We're just going to have a new series on the last several chapters of the book because they are so unique. So we've been verse by verse in the book of Romans for quite a while, uh, but for the holiday season, I want to speak to some themes. So this week and next week, we'll speak on Thanksgiving. And I want to give you a message from 1 Chronicles 16. So please, if you have a copy of the scriptures, please open to 1 Chronicles in chapter 16. 1 Chronicles in chapter 16. If you would, please pray for me and with me as I preach this morning. Um, and just for some reason, I feel uh, a little bit of difficulty today. Sometimes I get up and I feel just raring and ready to go, but I'll be honest with you. Today, I don't feel that way, but I, we do have a wonderful passage of Scripture, and so I trust that God's Word will speak, um, even if I struggle a little bit. So, 1 Chronicles 16. I'm going to really struggle if I don't turn to the passage, because that's, we, we kind of need that. So, let me get there. 1 Chronicles and 16. So, verse number, uh, our main text is going to be verse number 8 and following. Uh, read with me. Actually, good. I'm glad you gave me a whole chapter. So verse number one says, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. This is the background of what we're about to read this morning. David is probably the most famous king of Israel. And David is reaching the climax of his kingship right now. So, again, we've been in Romans for a long time. Now we're making a quick rewind back to the Old Testament. But this is King David in all of his glory. And what has taken place is they have brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The Ark had been given to the people of God many, many years previously. And if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is or what we're referring to, it was basically a box about this big. And it had sticks that you'd hold the, uh, that you would hold that with, well, you wouldn't, but the priests that were chosen would hold it with that, and there were two cherubs on either side, the cherubim, they were facing each other with their wings, and on the top of that, of that box was the mercy seat, and that is where the presence of God would come, and there would be a physical manifestation of the glory of God with his people. Pretty cool, if you don't mind me saying. Pretty cool. And someday, I think we'll get to see that in heaven. It's been lost to antiquity. Nobody knows what has happened to it, but it was a magnificent, uh, magnificent it's, in its purpose, pretty simple in its construction. But it had been hidden away, and for a while, the enemy, the Philistines, had had the ark, and, and then it was brought back into Israel, and it was kind of... Just forgive me for a, uh, a, a real long story short. It was basically just sitting in somebody's spare bedroom for a while. True story. Just hanging out at the house of Obed-Edom. And David says, you know what? It is time for the ark to come to Jerusalem. It is time for the, the physical representation of the presence of God to be in Jerusalem. And man, they had a time gathering it. I mean, what David does is he, is he leads the entire... Yeah, that was for dramatic effect, apparently. 
just to hit the button that silences computer sounds on the mixer and that'll not happen again. <laughs> so, um, what was I saying? Where were we? No, the worship service. That's where, well, at least that's where my brain was. Maybe my mouth was still at Obed-Edom. So the worship service, David has people take the ark, and they're carrying the ark, and he's like, we are going to worship and praise God like you have never seen before. And I mean, you can read in the previous couple of chapters, there are singers, and there are trumpet blowers, and there are marchers, and it is a grand worship and praise parade. And who is the grandmaster of the worship parade? None other than King David himself. And he is just, he just wants to, he literally lets it all out in glory and praise to God. And he leads the front of this worship procession, and he's got on his kingly robes and garments, and he takes them off. And I, that's about as far as we're going to go with what David did right there. Because he takes everything off down to his his basic, in the, days of, in the days of Israel, what would be considered his basic undergarments. His, his very simple covering that he would wear. What is he doing? He's humbling himself before the people. And humbling himself before God. And it says that he danced with all his might. I mean, David is jumping and praising and exuberant. Not everybody enjoyed that, by the way. There's some people that didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't get it, and, they, and his, own one, his own wife criticized him for it, but he didn't care because he's there to worship and praise God. The ark of God is coming, and he just is just totally exuberant and just filled with praise to God, and he leads them in public worship. And as you see here, so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent David had pitched for it. They offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offering and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt, I love this, they had a Thanksgiving feast. He dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone, a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. This is interesting. If you notice in your, in your King James Bible, if you have a King James Version that's italicized of wine, that's because in, the, in 1611, when they translated it, they didn't actually know what the Hebrew word meant. They didn't know because the, there wasn't enough research. This is a really cool thing. So they just went with what they thought it sounded like. It must be, you know, they gave them some wine. But several years later, um, scholars discovered what that Hebrew word meant, and it literally is a cake of raisins or some other kind of fruit. So literally what's happening here is he's like, hey, this is an awesome celebration. Here's some, here's some food, right? Here's some bread and a good piece. Now here I do, I love the King James translation. A good piece of flesh for you, all right? Have a, have a, here's a, here's a, maybe a, a drumstick or a, or a side of this or that. And he, he gives it to him and he's like, and we need dessert too. Aren't you thankful for dessert? You can say amen right there. And he gives them that too. And they are just feasting and celebrating. It's a national day of praise and thanksgiving. And aren't you glad that our nation was founded by people who believed in giving praise and thanksgiving to God? Aren't you glad 
You'll see now in our secular age, a lot of people just talk about being thankful generically. But friends, thankfulness always has a recipient. We are thankful, not in general, but we are thankful to God for all he has given us. And so David is just leading in praise and, and, and prayer and thanksgiving. And in verse number four, he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to accord and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, some of you heard of him. He was like, uh, you know, the, uh, he was the, the epic songwriter, um, musician of the, of the court. I mean, he is the, the chief musician. Actually, that's why he's called the chief. Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, Giel, and Shimarath. You can try that better if you'd like. And Jehiel, and Mattathiah, and Eliab, and Benaiah, and Obed-Edom, and Jael with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Just, are you, are you, yeah, you're imagining? I see some of you chuckling out there. I mean, this is just great. There's, there's, there's all kinds of things happening, and Asaph's like, oh, they've got all the instruments. Give me some cymbals. And he crashes the cymbals, and they're praising God. And it says, Benaiah also and Jehaziel the priests with trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of God. The cymbals crashing, the, the, the trumpets just won't shut up. It just goes on and on as they march this procession along. Then, on that day, David delivered first this psalm. To thank the Lord in the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Can you imagine all, you see all the musicians there? The singers. And David has got a little parchment that he's written some notes on. He says, here guys, I've got a request. I've got a request. Would you play this one? Would you sing this one? And they unroll it. And they look at the divine words that God gave King David, this beautiful song, this national song of thanksgiving, praise, and worship. We're going to look at this psalm in over two weeks. This week we'll look down through verse number 22, and then next week we'll finish the psalm. But what you see here actually, and I put this on the bottom of the front page of your notes today, what we're about to read is actually a compilation of three psalms that you can read about in the book of Psalms. And there's the correlations here. Now, I don't know which came first, 1 Chronicles 16 or these three psalms, or if they took 1 Chronicles 16 and broke it up into three individual songs. Either way, they overlap. And so what David writes in in here in 1 Chronicles, that's recorded in 1 Chronicles 16, can also be found in Psalm 105, in Psalm 96, and in Psalm 106. I want to show you two, two stanzas, if you will, of this song this morning, and I put them on the back of your notes today. First of all, I want you to notice the people of praise. The people of praise who are described in verses 8 through 13 and then we want to look at the object of praise, the great God, our Savior, who is described as the promise keeper in verses 14 through 22. 
So look with me how the psalm begins in verse number 8. In fact, would you read this song with me together out loud, good and strong, as if you were there. Well, at least almost as if you were there on that day when it was read. Ready, begin. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto Him. Sing psalm to Him. Talk ye of all His wondrous works. Glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His marvelous works that He hath done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. O ye seed of Israel, His servant, ye children of Jacob, His chosen ones. The people of praise. You'll notice that verses 8 through 13 are directed to the, the people. They're directed. It is an instruction for us to be a praising people. You'll see in verse 4, it starts to shift our attention to God and what He has done. But here it talks about our response to Him. And can I share this point with you this morning? Praise is never passive. Say, well, that's kind of obvious. Well, it's not always obvious in our lives. Praise is never passive. We, you and I are the passive recipients of tremendous blessings at the hand of God. Are we not? I mean, we just, the Bible says in the book of James, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That all of the good things in your life, you can trace back to the gracious, benevolent hand of our God. We are passive recipients, but we cannot passively praise. Praise is active. Praise is participatory. It's always active, and it involves both our outward actions and our internal affections. Praise, and you'll see this as I walk through these verses, praise always involves both outward actions and inward affections. What was going on in the heart of David erupted. If you'll, if you'll allow the... the use of the words here, it erupted into violent praise. I mean, it just came bursting out of him. Not only was he, David was not, David was not a, um, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. No, David, David praised God with his body, with his voice, from his heart. And I know there are culturally appropriate behaviors and all of that. We could discuss all of that. That's not my point. My simple point is this. David was always, when you see praise described, it's always seen and heard. It's seen and heard. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let it be seen. Praise in the Bible, it stood out to me. Somebody, when I was in college years ago, I heard someone say that, and I never forgot it, that praise is always in the Bible, it's always visible. Make a joyful what? Noise. Noise. 
that God delights in, in the physical manifestation of our praise and thanksgiving. So I want you to notice this. I'm going to walk through this. I'll try to do this pretty quickly, but I encourage you to take some notes this morning. I did, you'll see I gave you a lot of blanks there because I, I think it's more impactful if we walk through it and then see it one by one. There's an action, I believe, with a corresponding affection. Now, the action that I would have you write down, I think, is pretty obvious. The affection, though, that's really more application. That's me saying, you know what, as I see this action, what do I think that affection in their heart is? You may find another affection, which would be awesome. So I hope you'll be fully engaged and participatory with me in this because, again, I did my best. I'm looking at all of the actions, and then I'm trying to understand, well, what is going on in the heart that causes that action? So let's jot a few of these down. The first thing I see about the people of praise is they are preparing. They are preparing. That's the action. What do, what do you mean they're preparing? Well, David didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I think we should bring the ark and let's just go grab it and see what happens. Is that what he did? Not at all. Did you see the level of preparation that went into this praise? I mean, he is prepared. Not only is his heart prepared, but David is preparing all of the people around him. He's saying, hey, we need some singers, and we need some music, and there's going to be a procession, and these people are going to line up here, and we are going to prepare to worship our God. Can I ask you this question? How much time do you and I spend preparing to come to the public worship of God? Dads, are we preparing our families for worship? Are we, I, I, you know, this, this encouraged my heart. I get here early in the morning, early in the morning on Sundays. I, I leave ahead of my family to finish up things. And so I get here pretty early in the morning. And as I was doing some things in the office around 7.30 this morning, I put on my Spotify playlist to listen to some music that, that's worshipful music to prepare my heart for the day. And what happened was I kept trying to play my Spotify song, and it kept saying it was playing on another device. For those of you that use these streaming services, you know, they, you know, they don't like, you can't do it simultaneously. And I realized, oh, wait a minute. They're playing music at home. They're playing music at home. And I interrupted it. And I, was that happening today? Did that happen? No? Man, I thought it did. That was my guess. You just ruined my illustration. The point is this, though. Many times... Many, well, I don't know. I don't know if you were there. I'll have to ask your mom after. We'll, we'll see. But the point is this. Very often, in preparation for church, there'll be music playing. Maybe prayer time for you. Maybe getting in the scriptures. I mean, you, you've, for months you've known, hey, we were in Romans 11, verse 27 last week. I'll bet we'll be in Romans 11, 29 or whatever this coming week. Let me get in the word. Maybe there's a psalm that's one of your favorites that prepares your heart for worship. Public worship involves preparing. And you'll be amazed at how meaningful it is if you will prepare your heart. And what is the affection? I think the corresponding affection is it's a heart of true worship. It's a heart of true worship. It's God, you are worthy. I don't just like to worship God, and we should not just enjoy worshiping God, but I think we should also enjoy seeing others worship God. 
I mean, reading about David worshiping just is heart-stirring. Listening to people around me sing in church, is, it, it stirs my heart. Preparing. Secondly, thanking. Part of this worship is thanking. He begins in verse number 8, Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. But he says, give thanks. Obviously, the affection with this is, is a heart of gratitude. We are thanking people because we recognize what has been given to us. Gratitude. But thanks is spoken. I think we often think, well, God knows my heart. He does, right? He knows if we have a thankful heart, but we are commanded to do what? To give thanks. I don't know why. You say, well, if God already knows that I'm thankful, why do I need to say it? I don't know. I'm just telling you what it says. It says to give him thanks. And so we do that. We, we are a thankful people. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Isn't it nice to be thanked? You know? There's, there's, something, there, there's, there's something about that. And, and when you think of the, the, we like to be thanked for everything, don't we? I mean, let's just be honest. Like, we want to be recognized and thanked for every single thing that we do. Now, what do we really do for other people? I mean, sure, we have acts of kindness, and, but what do we really deserve to be thanked for compared to what God deserves to be thanked for? I mean, we could not, there are not words enough to thank him. Count your many blessings. Remember that hymn? Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. We thank him. The people of praise are preparing, they're thanking, and then thirdly, they're praying. They're praying. He says, he says sing, and, um, I'm sorry, verse 8, give thanks unto the Lord, call among, upon his name. We are praying people. And what is the affection there? It is dependence. Prayer says, God, I need you. And if you're like me and you're a fast-paced kind of person, you always like to move on to the next thing, it's hard sometimes it's hard sometimes to just to stop and intentionally pray as opposed to just those prayers throughout the day, which are good prayers. You know, it's good to pray throughout the day. But there's something about, I've been reading uh, or been listening to just the beginning of a book that really is about this kind of a topic. And he just talked about the importance of, you know what, starting your day literally kneeling in prayer. Starting your day physically, literally kneeling in prayer. You know, we can pray, and you can pray anywhere. Aren't you thankful for that? But there's something about that, and it doesn't have to be super long. It can be three or four minutes where you just start the day by saying, God, I need you. I need you. And finding a quiet, alone place where you can say that out loud to God. Preparing, thanking, praying. And that prayer gives an attitude of dependence. And then, this is cool, not just preparing, thanking, praying, but telling, telling. You see what it says at the end of the verse? Make no, I'm still in verse number eight. I'm not getting very far, Kayla. It's like, it's going to take me a while here. There's a lot of telling. He says, make known his deeds, where? Among the people. We, some of us probably need to get better at this too. 
Like one of the things that people of praise does is we come up and we tell people, listen, do you know what God has done for me? And this, doesn't, this is telling everybody. It's telling fellow believers. It's telling unbelievers. And what it, what, where I think it comes from is I think the affection here is a sense of wonder. It says, it says make known his deeds among the people. I think there's a sense of wonder, like, wow, look at what God has done. Do you see what happened? Do you know who did that? Do you know who did that? Who did that? God did that. God has done that. God has accomplished this. Preparing, thanking, praying, telling, celebrating is the next one. Celebrating. He says in, in um, I got some of these out of order. I don't know what I'm doing here. So I put, um, it doesn't matter because you don't have the same list as me, so... Um, I've got praying, telling. Now look at the next one. I said celebrating, but it's actually singing. Look at verse 9. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Sing psalms unto him. This singing that takes place. I remember, I remember a friend in, in years ago, he got saved when he was in high school, and he told us a story. He said, you know what? Before I became a Christian, I never sang. I never sang anything. Now, I know that's not normal. Most people sing something. I get it. But his point was, but, but his point was this. He was learning to sing because he was a Christian. And he was enjoying singing. He wasn't the best singer, and that was kind of his thing. He's like, you know, I never sang. And I think that was part of it. You hear a song on the radio, then you hear the sound come out of your voice, and you're like, oh, maybe I better not do this. But he realized in the church, in his Christian life, he's commanded to sing. And so he learned to sing. And he would sing out praise to God. Not just, and I think that comes from, uh, that comes from a love for God. That we're singing unto him. Singing songs to tell him of our love for him. Then you see in verse number 10, this is the one, celebrating. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. There is a glorious celebration about knowing God and being his child. Listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you've got to look like the, I'm not saying you've got to look like King David dancing before the Lord. I'm not saying you've got to do that, but it wouldn't hurt to let people know you're happy about what Jesus did for you. That would be okay. It would be okay. It's okay to celebrate. It's okay to be, uh, to be just filled with exuberant joy and to glory. That idea of glorying, that idea of glorying, it's the idea of just giving, uh, giving him his due, giving him what is worth. And that's what David's doing. He's in his, in his expression, he's magnifying God, and he's minimizing himself. So long as our expressions don't, don't, um, don't if we become the focus, that's a problem. But if he is the focus of it, then that's a glorious celebration. It comes from joy. How about this? There's more. Um, verse number 11. Verse number 11. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. The action of the people of praise is, to, is seeking. It is seeking. Does that come from a desire? A desire to know God. A desire to be close to God. Jesus said this. Jesus said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, 
for they shall be filled. In the same Sermon on the Mount, he said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. As David would say in another psalm, Just like the deer is thirsting for the water, so my soul longs for God. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. This is the, the, a people of praise. Listen, just a little self-reflection for all of us. We need these scriptures to just remind us, oh, wait a minute, this is what my life is supposed to look like. Because if you're like me, my life gets filled with stress and busyness and frustration and annoyance. I, I don't really get annoyed. Yeah, I do. Annoyance and things bugging me and bothering me and just the normal human stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Or are you judging me there? No, you're, you're with me? Yeah, your life is the same. And then we need these scriptures to be like, no, this is what my life is supposed to look like. I'm supposed to be a person of praise. He says, Seek the seeking, and then I love this one, verse 12. What's the word? Go ahead, say it out loud. What is it? Remember. remember. Oh, I will remember. Remember his marvelous works. His marvelous works that he hath done his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. To just remember, to stop and pause. And I, I think you could probably think of a different description of this or different affection, but I'm just drawn to the idea of contentment here. As I look at my life and I realize where I am and what I have and the situation that I'm in, I can look back and I can say, wait a minute, sometimes it would just do me good to remember who brought me here, to remember how I got, my, got here. I didn't get myself here. It was the Lord who brought me to this place. It's the Lord who brought me to it. It's the Lord who brought me through it. It's the Lord who will continue to lead me and guide me. We will remember the works of thy hands. We will remember. Listen, I want to remember I want to remember that my family is a gift from God when I get frustrated and lose my temper. I need to remember, God, that you bless me with these people. I want to remember that you, with this body of believers here, that you are my church. I am, I am your church. You are my church. We are one here. And when we get frustrated with each other, remember it's the Lord who put us here together. It's a gift of God. I need to remember when I'm tempted to, I need to remember that when I'm tempted to, like I can't pay this bill and I don't feel like I have enough and I want to go on this and I want to spend that. I need to remember that he has never forsaken me. He has never not met my needs. I need to remember. I need to remember that most importantly of all, I need to remember that there was a day that he saved my soul, that I was lost. I was on my way to eternity without Christ in hell. And Jesus said, I love you. I will save you. We need to remember his wonders. His wonders. He is wonderful and his works are wonderful. Wow, God is good. As they say all the time, God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. We need to remember. 
the people of praise. And in remembering, we're directed to who He is. He is the promise keeper. Verse 14, He is. He is. He is the Lord, Jehovah, our God. Think, put those two concepts together. The Lord. That, that capital L-O-R-D in all caps signifies the, the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. Speaks of His self-existence. The I Am, the all-sufficient one. He does not need us. He did not create us because He needed us. He created to bless us and to be glorified in us. The Lord completely beyond okay without us. But he says, you know what? I will not just be God. I will be your God. The Lord. He is the Lord our God. And now, because of who he is, it talks about the fact that we can trust him. Because his truth, first of all, is universal. Notice this. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Very briefly on this point, the point is this, that despite what people think, despite people's opinion that they can order life however they want, the truth and judgment of the Lord extends to every creature. God's word is eternal, it is authoritative, it is unchanging, and it is in all the earth. He has sovereign and complete authority. But not only is his truth universal, but his promises are certain. Look at verse number 15. Be ye mindful always. Be mindful always of his covenant. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Even of the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac. And hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law. And to Israel for an everlasting covenant saying, unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. Put this in the context, put this in the context of the story we're reading about. Here they are in Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. This is generations and generations way later than the promise to Abraham. Many, many generations later, David says, as we celebrate, as we think about our great God, know that he is doing this because he promised to our ancestors that he would do this. He promised that he would make us a nation. And listen, the promises of God are certain. They are sure and they are steadfast. To Israel, he promised an inheritance. Now, to you and I in the church, the promises are a little bit different, but they are no less sure. That what God has said that he would complete in us he will do. And look at this. Look at verse number 19. Well, what about these promises? Well, God promised it in verse 19 when ye were, when ye were but few. When you were just a few and strangers in this land. And when they went from nation to nation and one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. He reproved kings for their sake, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. He's saying to the people of Israel, you need to, here, you need to remember that the promises of God are cer certain. And you said, it's, if you notice, we read earlier in the previous verse, he commanded it to a thousand generations. God's promises are sure regardless of how much time passes. You say, boy, 
Christianity, isn't it a little bit outdated? Aren't we a little bit behind the times? Isn't this about 2,000 years ago since Jesus came? Well, it was Peter who reminded us this, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He said that one day, or a thousand, Lord, a thousand years with the Lord is but what? But one day. That God, God is not late. God's promises should not be doubted. What God promised, he will fulfill, regardless of how much time has passed. Also, he says to Israel, not just regardless of the time, but regardless of the circumstances. Oh, but they were just a few people. There weren't many of them. There wasn't a, a really a lot that, in fact, they came out of Egypt and they were slaves. What could, a, what could God do with a group of slaves out of Egypt? And God said, hey, my promise was to you, not when you were this mighty Israel in Jerusalem, but my promise was to you way back when you were just a few weak people. God's promises are not dependent on time. They're not, they're not dependent on circumstances. And they are not dependent on getting support or opposition. In fact, it said at the end, the last verses that we read, that the people of Israel went from nation to nation. And that if one kingdom to another. But in it all, verse 21, he would not allow anyone to do them wrong. And he reproved kings for their sake, saying, touch not mine anointed. You see the picture here? The picture is of the, the, the weak people of Israel wandering through the wilderness. No permanent homes, no walled cities, just tents in the wilderness. And they came up against a lot of opposing people. There were people that said they did not, they, they wanted to destroy them. And God said, no, nope, you're going to leave those guys alone. Those are my anointed people. Those are my chosen. You can't touch them. And it didn't matter who came up against them. The promise of God to his people would stand. Not because of who they were, but because of who the promise keeper is. Because of who he is. And so, Christian, can I encourage you with this very simply this morning? To give us a New Testament application, I gave you two, two verses. Philippians 1 and verse number 6. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will form it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You can praise him. I can praise him because we have confidence. We have confidence in his promise. You say, I don't understand what God is doing in my life. I don't understand why the money's not working out how I thought it would be. Well, God never promised that he'd give you a big bank account. Didn't promise that. Say, well, my health isn't exactly how I hoped it would be. God didn't promise that we'd have perfect health right up to the end, did he? He didn't. You say, well, well this situation, there, there's people that are they're against me in my life. Jesus didn't promise that everyone would be our friend, did he? But he did make a greater promise. He said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. 
I go to prepare a place for you. He said that he would preserve us blameless unto the day of Christ. And he which hath begun that good work in you will perform it unto the day of Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 24, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will what? Who's doing all the doing? He's doing all the doing. So who gets all the praise? He gets all the praise. His promises are steadfast and true. What he said he would accomplish, he will. Now, again, there are a lot of things that we want that he never promised us. But all that we need, he did promise us. And he will complete it. And can I say this too? If you don't know Jesus, I mean personally, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, there is no greater life than knowing that you are secure in the hands of your Savior. There's no greater peace than from knowing that my eternity is not about what I do, but about what Christ will do in me. Very simply put, it's the gospel. It's this. And, and if you could just give me your full attention for a minute longer. You might say, Ethan, this is a good lesson. We should be thankful. I believe we should thank God for everything. But we're not just talking about some Christianity in name or word. True Christianity and a true life of praise comes from a truly changed heart. It comes from being born again. Has there been a time in your life where you have personally received Christ as your Savior? You say, well, I've been baptized. Not the question. You say, well, I go, to, I go to church a lot. I'm a member. I put money in. I do that. That's not the, the question. All of those are things that we do. The question is, have you trusted in what Jesus has done for you? That's the difference. Religion says... You do the work, and maybe God will accept you. Christianity, true Christianity says, Jesus has done the work. Simply trust him. Has there been a moment in your life where you have admitted your sin before God and received Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the most important question. And from that flows a life that remembers, a life that's confident in the promise, and a life that praises God. Let's go to prayer. Would you please bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Just we'll have a quiet, quiet moment. This is our time to respond on what we've looked at today, to respond to God's word and God's spirit.
if you are here and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, or if you're unsure and you would like to make sure today, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. If your heart right now says, I want to be sure that Jesus is my Savior, you've got to admit that you're a sinner, that you don't deserve forgiveness, and then you simply have to believe that Jesus died and rose again for you and ask him to save you. If you're ready to do that, you can pray something like this. You can say, Dear dear Lord, I do believe that I'm a sinner. I'm lost. But I believe, Jesus, that you died for me, and I believe that you rose from the dead. And I ask you to be my Savior. I put my full faith and my full trust in you. Not in myself, but in you alone. Jesus, I trust you. If you've never done that or you're not sure, would you make that decision today to trust Christ as your Savior? Now, Christians, do you need a stirring this morning of your heart to look back at and think about who David was and how he praised God and what we read? Would you just ask God to make you a person of praise? Would you ask God this morning just to, to renew your confidence in his word and in his promise in your heart. Let's just take a few minutes and have a time of prayer as the instruments play. And let's just speak with the Lord. Ask him to stir your heart once again. Go into this, go into this week ready to praise him. and to lift up your name. God, we help us to be a thankful people, grateful for what you've done. Lord, help us to lift our praises to you. Lord, as, as we're reminded in the song we sang earlier, let our, blessing, let our blessings to you rise like incense. God, I pray that if someone in here doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name. glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.